Hi everyone, it is now 5 p.m. on this Wednesday evening in Kingston, and you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, www.cfrc.ca. Welcome to this week's segment of Today in YGK. Today in YGK brings you need-to-know news about what's going on right here in our beautiful city of Kingston. From current news, special segments, and interviews with some amazing guests, I'm sure you'll find something of interest that gets you to tune in. If you have any news to share, be sure to contact me via email at news at cfrc. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Today in YGK. I'm Dinah Jansen. With COVID-19 cases rising at an alarming rate across the province, Providence Care Hospital in Kingston is admitting additional patients from acute care facilities to its hospital site to help relieve pandemic-related pressures. With us to chat about this development is Kathy Sabo, Providence Care President and CEO. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk about the role we're playing in the pandemic. We really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. Now, to begin, can you tell us a little bit about Providence Care Hospital and the patients whose care it delivers? Providence Care is more than just a hospital. We have a long-term care home that has 243 resident beds. We run 22 community programs, clinical programs for the elderly, for people with severe persistent mental health disorders, for um, people that need some assistance with their activities of daily living, and vocational rehab is run from our community side of the organization. And we have the hospital, which people in the community may um, recognize from the corner of Portsmouth and King. So it has 270 beds and we opened in 2017. Thank you so much. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the regional and provincial situation vis-a-vis the climb in COVID cases most recently and the number of beds and personnel that might be available elsewhere and how Providence Care has come to step up to support other acute care facilities regionally? Yeah. Well, as I said, we have 270 beds and those beds are not acute beds. They're what we call post-acute or sub-acute. And the care that we provide here is rehab or rehabilitation, mental health services, complex continuing care, and palliative care. And when somebody is in an acute care hospital, often when the acute phase of their illness is over, they need additional care and services, and, and we're here to provide that care. So I don't really know all the staffing numbers around, but I would say that under a regional command structure, all the hospitals in the Southeast area have come together and are working together to make sure that we can care for the people in this community. So if that means transferring someone from one of their sites to us so that we can help in the the post-acute phase of their illness, that will allow them to free up capacity to deal with the more highly acute COVID patients. Wonderful, okay, thank you so much. Now, about the acute care patients uh, that uh, you're opening beds for at the hospital, are there going to be COVID patients or patients with other illnesses coming? Currently, we're um, taking everybody except for COVID because the COVID patients are so acutely ill that they really need acute care. So some of them are in ICU and are ventilated, 
and some of them just require high intensity care and services. However, as this pandemic is going along, we know that not everyone will recuperate at the same rate. And in the last couple of weeks, our discussions have shifted to saying, okay, now we can provide uh, post-COVID rehab care. So it's very similar to the rehabilitation care that we currently provide, but this would be targeted specifically to people who have suffered from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Oh, but are no longer in, a, in right. the acute situation. Right. Right. Okay. Now, if capacity gets exceeded and Providence Care is called on to deliver that care, we will deliver that care in preparation for the pandemic and working with public health and working with Ontario Health, Providence Care was able to flex up all of our space here to add additional 202 beds. So we went from a 270 bed hospital to a 472 bed hospital. So those beds are here. Our staff have been incredible and unbelievable. We've been looking at building our own workforce from a personal support perspective, activating, sending out notices to retirees, everybody else. So far, we haven't had to activate that workforce, but we have activated 52 of those beds. Mm-hmm. Those beds have been on the patient units themselves where we took sunrooms or living rooms and made them into patient rooms. And now we're looking at our seniors day rehab area and we've converted that into 23 more beds for uh, COVID, post COVID or um, acute care capacity building um, to help our partners. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're using spaces that are not necessarily being used at the moment be due to the coronavirus. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the interesting pieces is we have a gymnasium in our um, hospital, um, thanks to the great donation of uh, Mr. Britton Smith. And that gym that was used by our mental health patients and our rehab patients and our staff during after hours has been converted into a pop-up vaccination clinic a couple of times. And we've, if public health has some vaccine left over, they'll call us and say, we haven't, um, we don't have a need right now to distribute this piece. Can you bring in some of your patients in the priority area from our community services piece, not, not just our hospital piece, and get them vaccinated. And we've gone to pick up people, brought them into the hospital and vaccinated them. Mm-hmm. So, so we're really looking at maximizing the, the space in a lot of different ways we didn't even think about when we were building the hospital. Thank you for talking about some of the logistics behind creating this capacity to admit additional patients at Providence Care. Uh, And it sounds like you have uh, certainly ensured you have enough space and equipment and personnel. Uh, Really fascinating to sort of get the behind the scenes view of what that looks like. We really do appreciate it. Now, uh, just out of curiosity with the patients that are coming, are they also going to be traveling alone? And uh, how, how does the quarantining uh, situation work for not only the patient, but anybody they may be traveling with too? What, what are the protocols in place here? Uh, patients that will be coming to us come by um, ambulance transport. There's, your listeners may be aware, 
There's urgent paramedic transport when we hear the sirens and see the lights and we all pull over. And there's non-urgent transport. So we're using a lot of non-urgent transport mm-hmm. to get people here. People um, would be coming with the um, personnel that are attached to that um, ambulance transport system. We do have limitations on who can come to the hospital and come in. However, if people have essential caregivers with them, or if um, uh, if they have a designated care partner, then we will accommodate and allow those people to come as well because they are very vital to the care delivery and and for our care delivery system and for the person receiving care here. We, we wanna make sure that we are safe, keeping them safe, keeping our staff safe, but we also know that in order to give the best possible care, we need to have essential caregivers participating in the care with their loved one. Um, We also, when people come from outside the region, and even if they come from KHSC, everyone is tested for COVID before they arrive. So that we want to be assured that they have a negative COVID test. And when patients come to the hospital, they are isolated for 14 days. However, I will say to you that in the design and the build of the hospital, this was the first hospital in Canada that was built with 100% private rooms and infection prevention and control standards, such that every room can uh, provide that isolation and has the necessary infection prevention and control measures identified by sinks before you get in, enough equipment to keep people safe. So the isolation here is is, um, easier to accomplish and accommodate because of the design of the hospital. Um, so, so with all of this logistical planning uh, that you've had to put together, where is the funding for all of this coming from? So right from the start, um, we reached out to Public Health and to Ontario Health and said, we have capacity, we can flex our beds, we can take over all of the common spaces and turn them into patients' room, making sure that each bed is kept more than six feet apart. And that's how we got to those 202 beds. So that started last April and the minute Mm -hmm. funded it. Um, Public health came through to say, yes, this is a a very appropriate space. These spaces will, will be better for this type of patient or that type of patient. And if we need to have COVID patients here, we have the oxygen and the gases required that are piped into some of the beds in the hospital. Not every bed and not every room is a negative pressure room if you have to isolate people, but we do have some capacity to do that type of work. So the government has been very generous and funded our COVID expenses. So we submit regular invoices to them and we did last um, uh, summer and fall the, we didn't wait to get the money to build it out. It was go, go, go in April. And we, we did exactly that. 
and our planning and development team that we have at the hospital, most of the people that were doing the build of the brand new hospital are still with us. So that was great because they knew every single part of the hospital that we could use and what was available to help public health and Ontario health manage during this pandemic. Okay, thank you so much. Anything else to add before we close today, Kathy? You know, I can't say enough about the staff that work here. And it humbles me every day when I walk in the door. Um, this is a team sport. Healthcare is a team sport at any given time. But through the pandemic, not only our own team internally, which isn't just clinical staff, it's environmental services staff, it's volunteers, it's food services staff, it's our patient transport staff, and all the admin staff that go behind it. And then the next ring of our partners around Southeastern Ontario, uh, KHSC, and the role that they're playing as being a regional lead, the support we've received from as far away as Brockville and Belleville with offers of staff to be able to have people uh, so that we can staff. And again, we've offered and taken patients from them. So as I said, this is a, a very much a team game here and a team sport, but we know that um, it's hard work, but everybody continues to come to work every day to do the very best they can and give the very best care they can. And I thank them for that. And we do too. Thank you so much as well, Kathy, for joining us to talk about Providence Care Hospital and the admission of additional patients from acute care facilities to the hospital site right here in Kingston. We really do appreciate your very valuable time. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care and have a great day. Be safe, stay six feet apart, and wash your hands and wear a mask. And you're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 101.9 FM. I'm Alexandra Fernandez with some news updates for you folks. Queen's University places first among Canadian universities and fifth globally in annual Times Higher Education Impact Rankings. The rankings are measured on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Today, the Times Higher Education Impact Rankings reveal that Queen's University has placed first in Canada and fifth in the world in its global ranking of universities that are advancing the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals within and beyond their local communities. Phil Beatty, Chief Knowledge Officer of Times Higher Education, says that Canada's universities are actively demonstrating the fundamental role they will play in helping solve some of the world's greatest challenges, as outlined in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. In a year that has seen record levels of participation in the impact rankings, with 1240 universities from 98 countries and regions, it is wonderful to see the success of Queen's University in helping to ensure a sustainable future for global society. 
The rankings measured over 1,200 post-secondary institutions and focused on the impact made in 17 categories measuring sustainability. Established in 2019, the impact rankings assess a university's societal impact based on the UN's SDGs, a set of goals outlining a universal call to action to protect the planet and improve the lives of prospects of everyone, everywhere. Using carefully calibrated indicators across four broad areas, research, outreach, teaching, and stewardship, the impact rankings are a recognition of those who are working today to build a better tomorrow. Patrick Dean, Principal and Vice-Chancellor of Queen's University, said in a statement, At Queen's, we believe our community, our people, will help solve the world's most significant and urgent challenges through our intellectual curiosity, passion to achieve, and commitment to collaboration. We are humbled to be recognized in this way for the impact we're having in our local and global communities, but we recognize how much still needs to be done. We are, however, pleased to know we are on the right track and have our eyes set even more firmly on the future. Queen's University's community of students, researchers, staff, and alumni all contribute to making a positive impact as measured by the UN's 17 SDG criteria. Queen's scored highly across a number of SDGs, including um, SDG 2, which is Zero Hunger, SDG 11, which is Sustainable Cities, and SDG 15, Life on Land, where Queen's placed in the top 10 worldwide. For both SDG number 1, for No Poverty, and SDG 16, Peace, Justice, and Strong Institutions, Queen's ranked first in the world. On April 22nd, celebrate Earth Day at home and online. By doing so, you will join millions of people around the world marking this day aimed at drawing attention to humanity's impact on the Earth. As we continue to do our part to slow the spread of COVID-19 by staying at home, we can also show and live our commitment to a greener and more sustainable future, says Tess Whitman, Community Outreach Specialist at Sustainable Kingston. Whitman suggests some ideas. Choose one or all of the suggestions or create your own and share your Earth Day efforts on social media using hashtag Earth Day at home. Create an Earth Day sign for your window. Show or tell the outside world why Earth Day matters to you. You can also spend some time learning about the importance of natural areas and wildlife. Wetlands and pollinators are just a couple essential parts of our ecosystem and now is a great time to learn more about the role that they play. Rethink your diet. Are there small steps you can take to make your meal more sustainable? One great way to make a difference for our environment is by reducing food waste. Learn how you can do that using the city's food waste resource page, which can be found at cityofkingston.ca slash resident, and then you can go into the garbage and recycling tab and find it there. You can also learn more about the Climate Leadership Plan, which is the city's roadmap to achieving carbon neutrality no later than 2040, and also brainstorm some ways to lower your energy consumption. I encourage everyone to use the day to learn, to reflect, and to commit to a personal action you can take to make our city and our world a better, more sustainable place to call home, says Whitman. CFRC also encourages residents to tune in on Thursday, April 22nd to CFRC 101.9 FM at 3 p.m. to ensure nature sounds recorded at Little Cataraqui Creek Conservation Area and lovely Earth Day themed music. Kingston Fire and Rescue wants to engage with you as it seeks to become one of only 10 nationally accredited departments. KFR is currently assembling an application it will submit later this summer to the Center for Public Safety Excellence. 
By being an accredited department, we formalize our process for measuring, evaluating, and improving our services, says Fire Chief Sean Armstrong. Accreditation through the CPSE requires a comprehensive review process. It's an external endorsement that the department is taking strides, big and small, to continually improve. Public engagement is an important piece of this application. Each week, we will launch a new poll on Get Involved Kingston that highlights a lesser-known fact about the service, says Fire Chief Armstrong. Content will be packaged so it's friendly to all ages. He continues to say that, We know families are together at home because of the pandemic. Please consider using a portion of this time at home to learn more about KFR together. In addition to informing residents, KFR also launched a survey to collect input on three key areas, general knowledge and awareness of KFR, residents' role in their own public safety, and KFR services. You can visit Get Involved Kingston to complete the survey and this week's polling question. You can also request a paper copy of the survey by calling 613-546-0000. They will provide you with the postage page envelope to return the survey to City Hall, or you can complete the survey over the phone with the city staff by calling the same number. Kingston Fire and Rescue is committed to continuous improvements, says Fire Chief Armstrong. We thank every person who helps us realize that mission by taking time to learn more about KFR and share input. The City of Kingston has extended congratulations to students upon completing another academic year and reminds them to make sure that they have a plan to make their move out of Kingston and back home for the summer a smooth, neat, and safe experience. The City has conveyed a number of steps for students to take during the move-out process. Consider how COVID-19 affects your move-out plans. Stagger your move-out times to allow for physical distancing and limit the number of helpers on site. Remember that the KFL&A Public Health Section 22 order remains in place through April 30th and prohibits groups of five or more from gathering inside or outside. Wipe down touch points with a disinfectant and make sure everyone who washes their hands before and after moving items will not move the will move the items but not the germs. Wear a mask to protect anyone outside your household who is helping you. Close your Utilities Kingston account. A minimum of five business days are necessary to ensure the account is closed on the date requested. You can do this online or you can do it by phone at 613-546-0000, Monday to Friday, 8am to 5pm. Dispose of any unwanted items properly. If you're not sure where it goes, you can use the city's waste lookup tool. Drop them off at paid disposal sites. These locations charge a fee for waste disposal. Items brought to them end up in landfill. Be a good neighbor. Be mindful of the property standards and solid waste bylaws and leave your property clean. The yard and streets and property standards bylaws require yards to be free of any garbage or debris. There will be bylaw officers enforcing these laws, so do the smart thing and plan ahead. To learn more about these bylaws and how to comply, you can visit cityofkingston.ca slash students. CFRC is thrilled to launch a new special series entitled Vibe Check by Nevin Lockhead starting April 21st at 4.30pm. Tune in for Vibe Check, a four-part bi-weekly radio art project by local artist and CFRC Queen's University alumni Nevin Lockhead. In this program, listeners will be introduced to the artist's process of sonic scaffolding and its effects. A CFRC interview with Lockhead about his recently opened but currently closed solo exhibition from the Vibe Out at Agnes Etherington Art Center becomes a bass track 
for layered auditory experimentations which seek to transpose the approaches taken towards the two-channel video installation to CFRC's immersive stereo habitat. The episode closes with an output from a workshop conducted as part of Lockhead's attendant and ongoing learning experiment involving a group of local artists. Episodes of Vibe Check will also be available via the digital Agnes. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in to Today in YGK on CFRC 101.9 FM. I am sorry to hear that we've had quite the snowy day, unironically enough, but don't worry because tomorrow will be a little bit chilly, but Friday we have sunshine and a high of 17. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and don't go anywhere because we have Campus Beat coming up next. Thank you for listening to Today in YGK, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.